0: Welcome to Success The Last, a podcast that honestly explores the complicated topic of success. I'm your host, Jared Siegel. I'm a partner at Delap and leader of our Wealth Advisory Practice. During each episode, we're going to talk to a business owner, entrepreneur, real estate investor, or industry thought leader about their own experiences, insights, and observations as it pertains to life, business, finances, and ultimately fulfillment. Candidly, it can be lonely at the top. Our desire is to use this podcast to connect you with the ideas and resources so you can be better equipped to make more predictable, profitable, and rewarding decisions as you juggle the competing priorities of life, business, and money. Keep in mind, this is a podcast. It's not meant to be a replacement for your CPA or financial advisor. So be sure to check with the appropriate professionals before implementing any of the ideas. Welcome back to another episode of Success That Lasts. In this week's episode, we're going to be discussing exit planning, and more specifically, family enterprises. Dave DeLapp, a CPA with nearly four decades of experience, in addition to being a certified exit planning advisor, will be jumping in and joining us around the halfway point. So right out of the gate, let's just start with some simple definitions. Exit planning combines a plan, concept, effort, and process into a clear, simple strategy to build a business that is transferable through strong human, structural, customer, and social capital. The future for you, your family, and your business are all addressed by exit planning through creating value today. Exit planning is way more than a static written document. Exit planning is a strategic business tool used to focus the company on maximizing business value, while also integrating the owner's personal and financial objectives with business objectives. Within exit planning, there are five stages of value maturity, identification, protection, building, harvesting, and managing. So today we're gonna be talking a bit about harvesting the value. There's a lot of different ways that an owner can exit a business in the broad strokes, there's inside exits and outside exits. Inside exits typically look like intergenerational transfers, management buyouts, sales to existing partners, or employee stock option plans. Some of the more popular outside transactions would include sales to third party, recapitalizations or recaps, once in a while an initial public offering or an IPO. And then finally, sometimes when you can't find an interested third party, owners are forced to orderly liquidate. In this week's episode, we'll focus our attention on intergenerational transfers. That's a very common strategy within family enterprises. But family enterprises are unique. What makes them so unique? We have family dynamics. There's a powerful context to identity, reputation, and history. Moreover, there's a variety of assets that actually need to be managed and shared within families, siblings, Cousins, in laws, family and business naturally collide. Within the context of exit planning within a family enterprise, it's further complicated due to the resistance to change that is often encountered. Family members typically wear so many different hats, and even within the family there can be disparate visions or goals. There's really need for more specialized governance. Another important question to tackle at the front end of this episode is what is exit readiness? Well, It's a state of facts, not simply a state of mind. Typically, there's two considerations. Is the owner ready? And is the business ready? So when we look at is the business ready, this can be either the owner's perception or prospective buyer's perception. Helping support owner readiness was a major inspiration for this episode in the first place. We want to make sure that you have the tools and resources to get educated on the process of how you could transition your business and equip you to have conversations about transitioning with your loved ones. It's common for an owner transitioning a business within the family, intergenerationally, to take for granted the complexity of the timing. Transition timing is influenced by three main factors. Personal timing, business cycle timing, and private capital markets timing. Personal timing is your energy level, your age, your personal involvement in the business, your health, and your passion for the business. For most owners, this is an easier thing to keep a pulse on. However, business cycle timing introduces a little bit more complexity. It looks at the growth of the business, kind of what growth stage is the business in, kind of historic trends and future prospects. And finally, the third main factor that influences transition timing, particularly within a family, is the strength of the economy and current tax rates. Whether it was the financial crisis back in 2008 or in 2009, or the COVID crash in early 2020, we did see unexpected events in the economy significantly disrupt transition plans. So to dig a little deeper on this topic of intergenerational business transitions, I've invited my business partner, Dave DeLapp, to join us. Hey, Dave DeLapp, appreciate you joining me in uh, this week's episode, Midstream. You yeah, glad to join you, Jared. Hey... We've been doing a ton of meetings together recently. It seems as though succession, transition, and estate planning is on everyone's mind with so much change percolating in Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. And people want to be prepared for this change that appears probable. But this isn't necessarily a new topic for you. You've been doing this sort of work now for nearly four decades. And the vast majority of your work for recent history has been helping clients around succession and business exit planning and then obviously doing it through the the lens of integrating wealth objectives and estate efficiency lots of different ways to do the exit itself you and i you know work through the certified exit planning advisor designation that sepa designation so it was fun having a study buddy mm-hmm. to work through that stuff but I want to lean into today, specifically intergenerational transfer. Again, there's inside transfers and there's outside transfers, but a lot of our clients here in the Northwest are really focused on transitioning within that family. So as you look at the transitions that you've assisted with, you know what what percentage of them have the, the matriarchs and patriarchs of these businesses decided that intergenerational transfer would, would most likely accomplish their objectives?
1: I'd say probably 50%, maybe a little bit higher than that. Probably 75 to 80% of them had the intention of transition to their fam- to their children or grandchildren. Oftentimes, they'll get a call out of the blue, and the deal is just too good to pass up, and they end up transitioning the the company to an outside buyer. But we work so frequently with family businesses that really almost from the get-go, they're already thinking about how are they going to transition that business to their children and grandchildren or, or other family members.
0: So there's pros and cons to every single strategy, but what are some of the pros that you have observed of the intergenerational transfer and what it provides to a business owner?
1: Well, Oftentimes, one of the keys is just the legacy, the fact that this business is their baby, that they have oftentimes started it from scratch and all the the hours and blood sweat and tears that went into that the construction and and building of this business now they get that legacy of seeing it continue on into future generations it's oftentimes much more planned so that we're going to have a maybe a 10-year transition we'll see some where there's a a good chunk that goes to the children through gift. And then maybe there's a sale of the remainder over a period of time to have a transition like that. Oftentimes the employees, the customers, the vendors, they don't even know that it's, there's a transition of ownership. And so it's a lot less disruptive to the business when it's compared with an outright sale and, you know, can be lower cost. You're not paying a a broker's fee, you know, depends how, how the transaction is structured. Yeah. The, uh,
0: Long list of pros, you know, some of the cons that come to mind would be lack of liquidity. You know, you have illiquid buyers, typically the next generation. It's generally kind of a friendly sales price, which typically means a lower sales price. Mm-hmm. It's sometimes it's difficult to retain key employees, right? If somebody has aspirations of participating at an owner level in the wealth that they're helping to create, it's difficult to retain key employees if they know that there's new leadership, new ownership coming in.
1: Yeah, there's lots of ways we can augment that a lot we do a lot of work with stock appreciation rights with change of control features in them so you can have either bonus programs or kind of golden handcuffs for your key manage managers so that even though it's transitioning maybe in ownership to a son or daughter we can still give a lot of opportunity to those key people that aren't family members
0: yeah in the probably the most notable con of intergenerational transfers is the complexity of family dynamics. I think of that model that Harvard Business developed back in 1978, you know, you had these overlapping circles. You had a, a circle labeled family, a circle labeled ownership, and a circle labeled business, kind of representing the various stakeholders in that owner's life and or the business. Mm-hmm. So within that you have non-owner family employees, you have family employees, you have family owners that are not in the business. And yeah, at the end of the day, you start looking at the complexity of equals, not fair, fairs, not equal, and the kind of competing priorities of these different stakeholders. At the end of the day, it takes a really strong family to manage the complexity of those relationships, particularly in the midst of a transition where, where people's financial interests and identity are so integrately intertwined. Mm-hmm. So we'll often talk about the exit planning process being informed by what we often refer to as the gaps, right? And so mm-hmm. what are some of the gaps that you talk to clients about as it pertains to the exit planning process and in maybe how it interacts with intergenerational transfers?
1: The first question out of oftentimes out of the mouths of the owners are, you know, what's my business worth? And I'll immediately start spewing information regarding multiples of EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. And hopefully they haven't glossed over at that point in time. But when you think about just how valuable your business is, and that's not a static value, you know, as we've all seen as a result of COVID some companies were hit very hard and some actually have thrived throughout the last year and so as a company increases its earnings it's it's more valuable and as it increases a lot of the things inside it that make it valuable like strength the strength of management uh, sales contracts uh, good internal controls and accounting systems so so we've got a profit gap, which is related to our earnings and how can we increase our earnings and thus, thus make our business more valuable. But we've also got this value gap, which is really has much more of those subjective things like how does our company rank as in terms of our market share and the strength of our brand and the strength of our employee and management group. And then finally we also talk about a wealth gap. That wealth gap is, you know, if you've already identified how many dollars you need to retire if you decide to sell and exit your business, then will the sales price after tax and after fees provide you the accumulated wealth necessary to provide for you and your family for the rest of your life? So if there's a gap there, if, if, if it's not sufficient to do that, we've got a wealth gap and we need to be working on our profit gap and our value gap so that we can close our wealth gap. We talked about you know transitioning that business to family members. If it's just all out gift, we need to have our wealth from other sources. We need to have that sufficient enough that we can actually give away the business and, and still have other assets to provide for our well-being those are the gaps we talk about quite a bit
0: yeah appreciate that dave dave let's move past the conceptual to more the implementation how do we move from planning to execution and to do that i want to talk about a tool that we use that kind of can create clarity and it's designed to create simplicity in the midst of chaos right a lot of the time if we're trying to get somewhere the word picture of gps can be really clarifying GPS is wonderfully powerful if you know two data points. Where are you now? Where are you trying to go? And it's really common to start with directional questions about how should we do this? How do I transition my business? How do I do it tax efficiently? How do I make it last long enough for my wife and I? How do we... So these how questions, before we've actually defined where we are now and where we're going. And so that's why I really like those value gap questions it can create some level of clarity around destination and current location. But I guess, have you had any real world experience where that planning model, now where, how, kind of the metaphorical GPS can really create clarity and confidence around the specific tactics that are gonna support an intergenerational business exit?
1: Yeah, I've seen uh, time after time after time where we have had a refocus moment, where we have said, okay, I understand you wanna get, The answers to all these questions but let's refocus and define the where where are we attempting to go what are we trying to accomplish here kind of how much is enough if you had a sale for this amount of money would that provide for you the way you want would you is and then what it allows us to do is to go back and now kind of work on our route of how to get there and there's so many different routes to get there whether Uh, We haven't even talked about the different ways to exit, whether it's a sale to family members, sale to an outside party, ESOP, recapitalization. There's just so many different variables. And then you add the other complexities and variables their own situation, their health, their age, their generosity, what they want to do, what we could do with regards to tax savings, integration of uh, generosity giving to donor advised funds or things of that nature that are just so many different routes. But when we have defined the the destination, those routes become a lot more clear. And, and I've seen it time and time again, where we, we complete the planning. Of course, we're kind of planning in pencil because then things change over the next year, but where we complete the planning and we really come up with something that's gonna work so well for them. And it's because we established the destination up front.
0: As planners, a lot of the time we can also function in this role of risk mitigator. Mm-hmm. And so clients are looking for a way to establish control and flexibility as it pertains to their largest asset that they typically have is the the business and the real estate that it operates within. Sometimes we'll talk about the five D's, essentially some of these contingency plans that need to be put into place. And a lot of the time it's easy to consider these from a third-party perspective, it's easy to overlook within your own family. I mean, what would be the five Ds of contingency planning as it pertains to intergenerational wealth transfer and intergenerational business exits?
1: Well, you always have to be prepared for those, the risk of death, death of the founder or, or key person within the company. I think uh, one that's often overlooked is disability. Many of our clients have uh, significant life insurance policies to help with the estate tax and other burdens associated with a, a death of a, a key owner, but they haven't maybe insured the disability side of things, which is, can be fairly prevalent. Divorce, where you have a splitting of assets between divorced parties and the significant you know, lack of liquidity within most of our family businesses and how that will be handled. A disagreement if you if you have multiple families involved in ownership and there's a disagreement amongst the business partners and they need to uh, one needs to buy the other one out. And finally distress, which is really what we've seen in the last year with COVID. I mean who could see that coming? We actually have in the past kind of joked about it. Oh, if we had a worldwide pandemic, you know, and really never thought that something like that could happen. And now I think it's opened all of our eyes to how fragile life can be and how fragile a business can be. And The best business owner is going to be one that is prepared for all of these uncertainties and has at least evaluated and prepared as best they can.
0: We talk a little bit about pursuing financial unbreakability. And I guess from a business perspective, an exit planning perspective, accounting for these contingencies is a way to pursue unbreakability, if that's a word.
1: Maybe I just made yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, works for me. There you go. <laughs>
0: So again, to make sure I had these correctly, it's death, disability, divorce, disagreement, and distress would be kind of the five Ds that you'd want to be planning for from a contingency perspective. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess, Dave, uh, to keep this one kind of short, punchy, and actionable, when an owner's looking at their exit options, you obviously want to begin with the end in mind. What are the values that have informed specific goals? But I guess where would one start? I mean, you'd, you'd have to probably go through your exit options, both internally and externally, is the wealth gap a place to start, you know, in terms of understanding what you actually need to, from the business in order for you to accomplish the goals that you have for your family financially?
1: I think it's an excellent one to start with. People will be amazed at how much tax comes out of a transaction or where they just have misinformation, where they say, oh, I heard my friend sold for seven times EBITDA, and I know what my EBITDA is, and I can multiply that out, so that's what my business is. Well, what they maybe don't know is it may be seven times EBITDA less long-term debt. So if my if I have 5 million of long-term debt and seven times my EBITDA is 21 million, I'm only gonna net 16, right, after paying off yeah. the debt, but I'm gonna have a tax payment in there too. So now you take away the debt, you take away the tax payment, and it's a lot smaller number than maybe they were planning on for retirement. So identifying that wealth gap early, then we can set some goals and objectives. How can we build the profit gap and the value gap? How can we close those and and actually build the value of the company with a target of how much we're going to want to try and get when that's sold?
0: So... Dave, as I'm thinking about the landscape right now. Here we are in the second quarter of 2021, and we hear kind of priorities and negotiations going on in DC. From a planning perspective, we're preparing our clients for meaningful changes to the income tax code and, and certainly from an estate tax planning perspective, the estate tax code. It seems as though those that can create clarity and action here in the in the near term have the opportunity to avoid some significant taxes. So if I'm pretty committed to an intergenerational business exit, what are some of the things that I could or should be doing right now that might be able to save my family millions of dollars of taxes?
1: For those family businesses that are of significant value, the potential change in the, in the tax plan, which the tax law presently allows $11,700,000 kind of lifetime gifting or death time estate exemption per person. Per person. Correct. So we could have a business worth $23 million. We could give it to our child and not have to pay any gift tax. Okay. That's great. But some of the proposals are to reduce that to $3.5 million a person. Okay. So if we've got a business that's worth, you know, multiple millions of dollars and we pass away after they have reduced that lifetime exemption, the impact, especially for maybe skipping a generation and going to our grandchildren with a gift, could be horrendous. I mean, the, the, you know we could lose 60, 70, 80 cents on the dollar in a gift. So planning this year is critical, especially if you're already thinking about making intergenerational gifts, why not accelerate those? And that technique is to utilize this exemption while it still exists before they take it away.
0: Now, use it
1: before you lose it.
0: That's helpful. I think it's worth noting, again, to kind of cast a vision for the opportunities that are available from a planning perspective. You can locate growth generationally where it's going to be most tax efficient without surrendering control. So Delineate that, break that apart for me. Help me understand how we can gift value with but retain control.
1: One of the primary ways we do it, uh, most of our clients are S-corporations and, and they can't have more than one class of stock, but they can have non-voting and voting stock. So we'll do a split and get a bunch of non-voting shares to go alongside our voting shares. And then we can gift value, we can gift these non-voting shares to our family members while retaining our voting shares, which is voting control, allows us to determine who the board is, who the key management is of the company, uh, yet we've given significant value away.
0: Absolutely. What salaries are. Yes. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> Important things like that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's incredible, though. So, I mean, when we th- then look at the valuation, what are the impacts when we have to go and value the gift? We have lack of marketability, lack of
1: minority interest and lack of marketability are the two main discounts. And so oftentimes in our gifting, the company, if we are going to sell it to a third party, would be a much higher figure than we're actually going to use in terms of what value is used when we gift it. And it's even further reduced when we're gifting these non-voting shares or gifting partial ownership in the company to our family members. So we're using the the tax law to our advantage there.
0: I think one one of the things that gets away from some of our clients is not only that these changes are out there percolating, but when we look at exponential growth, otherwise known as compound interest, it's easy to, to underestimate the metaphorical eighth wonder of the world. I was blown away to realize that you know, Warren Buffett was worth about $4 billion at age 65. And presently he's worth about $98 billion. You know, he's 90 now, but you look at what ends up happening towards the end of the exponential growth, kind of the the old magic penny that doubles every day and what that turns into a month in. You know, as mm-hmm. our clients get a little bit older, if they haven't located the growth, not necessarily the control, but if they haven't located the growth in the right spot, I mean, we could be talking eight figures additional tax Mhm. Because of a a delay. So I guess the the call to action would be to start the conversation. Mm-hmm. That yeah. there's never been a better a better time to start that conversation than today because the clock is metaphorically ticking. Yes. All right Dave, well thanks for uh joining us midstream today and we'll have to uh rerun it. This is uh I think you're our first kind of real repeat guest here. We've had a guest <laughs> turn into the host, but First one to make a repeat. So I wonder who will be the the trifecta. Thanks so much, Dave. (laughs) You bet. Have a great day.